0: hello everyone welcome once again to reason for hope we're here with you once again for an hour live broadcast guided by your questions on the Bible that's what we're all about here at reason for hope you can send in your questions on the Bible through our various online platforms whichever one you choose to join us on and we will be watching for those questions coming in and endeavor to answer them with the use of God's Word the Bible so if you have a, an honest question on your heart Maybe a, a verse or passage of scripture that you'd like expounded upon, maybe something that you're going through in your in your life, you'd like a biblical perspective, or maybe Christianity as a whole, or other worldviews, or really any honest question, as long as you know the Bible is the source of the answers for this show on A Reason for Hope, uh, that's what we are all about. We're very glad that you're joining us, however you have stumbled upon our broadcast or or you're with us intentionally, even, <laughs> and coming back for more of the same. My name's Dave Robson. I'll be your host today, and keeping an eye on all those platforms and chat boxes as your questions come on in. And with us today, Pastor Scott Richards, who's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, where we're broadcasting from. How are you doing today, sir?
1: Fantastic. Just, yeah. Uh, been having an awesome time in the Word, getting ready for an incredibly timely study in Ezekiel tonight. Ooh very very real and relevant stuff more very things good. change uh more they stay the same yeah. same spiritual challenges going yep. on back then yep. that we face right now in a really personal way so if you've ever been bamboozled by people talking about generational curses or uh someone saying that uh well you know i'm uh, i'm an adult child of alcoholics and so i'm just going to be this way uh, understand that's nothing new and we'll see what god's take is on it and uh uh, the, the power of a magic word we don't hear very much these days accountability
0: mm. so yikes very yeah. cool a lot yeah. of fun well that'll be that's our Wednesday night service here at Calvary Christian Fellowship at 6.30pm so about half an hour after we finished with this show we'll be going live again on all those same platforms so if you would like to stick around for that you're more than welcome to our Wednesday night uh, study has been in the book of Ezekiel going through that verse by verse and so you're welcome to stick around for that I'll catch up on the archive indeed so uh, also with us Pastor Sean Richards, certainly not a newcomer to the show. How are you doing today?
2: Good. Speaking of accountability, I will not, unless I incriminate myself, admit to today's mission being a success or a failure.
0: (laughs) What was today's mission? See previous sentence. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, we'll take your word for that i okay. <laughs> <laughs> think i followed that <laughs> i mean you're his father so i don't know maybe you can cue me in later but <laughs> yeah. uh, well once again thank you guys for being here today we appreciate you know, giving your your time and thank you for years of diligence in the word um that you can bring wisdom to that I so much that, fun you know, yeah. yeah yeah so thank you thank you for for making the show a possibility and It's a a lot of fun to see where the show is going to go. We never know what questions you're going to bring, so we never really know what the show is going to contain. Sometimes there's themes that run throughout, a thread that runs throughout. uh, Sometimes we take wild turns, but we will see what the Lord has. Well, as I mentioned, Reason for Hope is a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. So It's a weekday show here. It's an outreach of uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, as we mentioned. So keep that in mind when you're trying to find us on different platforms, and that will help you out. You can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, and you're welcome to obviously have a look around our website. We have lots of uh, groups and Bible studies and all kinds of events going on. So certainly if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area would like to check us out in person even, we are here for you. So um, anytime we're live, if you go to that Watch Live tab, right there. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events. As we mentioned, um, services here in the Book of Ezekiel on Wednesday nights and the Book of Acts on Sundays. So those are live streamed there and on all these platforms as well. Um, But a reason for hope, like I say, Monday through Friday, we're live on this page. You can go directly to that, ccftucson.online.church or again, follow the link from our calvarychristianfellowship.com website. And when we're live, you'll be able to sign in with a username and then send us your questions in the chat function. I'll be watching for those coming on in. Um, We're on Facebook as well, of course, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson or search for Calvary Christian Fellowship Tucson. Don't forget to like and share if you've been blessed by the ministry, we'd appreciate that. And once again, it's another way you can send in your question just in the chat function um, right there. And we will be receiving those live. Uh, We have an app as well for your mobile device look for calvary christian fellowship of tucson you guessed it in your app store and uh, look for that red background with the calvary chapel dove logo there's uh, there's a few calvary christian fellowships around the world so i noticed there's a few apps there but if you look for that red background the calvary chapel white dove logo that's us um download except that. no substitutes that's right, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we are by far the best no, I <laughs> certainly can't say that but um you won't be watching us live if you don't uh, download our app so that's what it is and we're on roku as well and apple tv uh we have a channel on those things so if you have a, a, a roku or apple tv enabled device or tv you can add us to your channel um channel lineup your channels in the channel store and then watch us on the big screen as well there won't be a chat function on those so you'll have to send your questions in through one of the other methods but um, that's a good way to watch us on your big screen we're on youtube as well uh, look for a reason for hope that is the name of the channel on youtube a reason for hope uh, It's a good place to go for archives as well that live tab right there anytime we've been live it will archive there so if you miss the show or you want to watch it again and again to your heart's content or even our services here at calvary christian fellowship you can check them all out right there on the live tab on youtube and again please like and subscribe and share and uh, click on the notification bell and then you'll get notified when we are live a little reminder there so a reason for hope on YouTube, another way for you to join us. Our Pastor Scott here is on Twitter and uh, um, all kinds of shenanigans going on. And what's the word? Tomfoolery? Yes. Tomfoolery yes. is the technical term for it. Yes. Uh, but look for him, Scott uh, r for I eight. minored in
1: tomfoolery in college. <laughs> yes. did, did you? Yes. Uh, strawberries
2: <laughs> often went missing.
1: Uh, properly. <laughs> Properly trained. <laughs> right,
0: that's right. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're qualified. Yes. Then, then
1: don't uh, try this at home, kids. Tom, fall to your heart's <laughs> content. Yeah. Yes.
0: So, Scott R4H is his handle there. Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. Um, you can follow along with him on Twitter, where he posts not only Tom Fallery, but a kind of commentary on world events and news events as it pertains to uh, end times and prophecy and those kind of things, and highlights from the show and all kinds of interesting stuff. So, if you're on Twitter, look for Pastor Scott there. Scott R4H. Uh, We're on Rumble as well. We post our archives there, A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. So if you're on the Rumble platform, uh, you can add us there as well. And then our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out with letters, at gmail.com. On the radio, I'll mention that if you're joining us through uh, Reach Radio or one of the radio affiliates, you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, so we're not live with you per se. Um, So you'll want to use that email address, questionsforhope.com gmail.com and on our next show we will get to that question and then when you're on the radio the next day you'll get to hear the answer to it so that's a several days investment (laughs) but that's what it is for now uh but when you're home and you're not on your drive time or uh, for whatever reason you can join us on one of those other live platforms Uh, but we are glad you're joining us however you are and wherever you are you're very welcome and once again send your questions in get them in early sometimes we run out of time so get them in early and we'll line them up and hopefully get to all your questions today. If we don't, uh, a great thing to do is join us next time and add your question again. When I see that your question's been asked twice, then I get very anxious to get your question and uh, it usually happens. So if not today, the next time we're live. But hopefully we'll get to all your questions today. So all that being said, we love to pause and pray at this. time before we go any further maybe we should pray before my presentation i'd do it even better (laughs) 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 better late than never yes i know you're
1: outstanding there delving dave (laughs) (laughs) thank you well scott would you like to pray for us i'd love to father thank you so much that we can bring this program into your presence and lord we pray that not only the things that we say even the heart we bring to the things that we say on this broadcast would we'll be anointed and empowered by you and i pray for those that are taking the time to join us i pray that this would be a time they're edified built up in their knowledge of you exhorted given some handles some tools to better apply your word on a day-by-day basis and comforted by the fact that uh what you begin in our hearts you're going to continue till the day of christ jesus thank you lord uh that uh, your call to be holy as you're holy uh, isn't some unattainable standard, uh, a carrot on the end of some spiritual stick. But you're promised that you're going to do that work in us inside out. You're not going to be done till we're just like Jesus in our character. What an awesome experience that's going to be. So move us uh, a few steps forward in this process, whether it's through our understanding of your word, whether it's application of your word, maybe even transforming our hearts through your word. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Um, well, Pastor Scott, is there anything you'd like to share with us? Uh, often on, on the show, you give us a little update of world's yeah, going well, on. So
1: well, as you know, well, last time uh, I was with you all on Friday, Israel was knee-deep in a uh, rocket war with Islamic Jihad. Yeah. Uh, there is a ceasefire in place, and that ceasefire seems uh, to have held. Uh, the Israeli authorities have given the all clear. Uh, people are out of their bomb shelters and, and so forth, mm-hmm. especially those close to Uh, the border with the Gaza Strip. And uh, essentially, uh, things have hit another one of those lulls. We've talked quite a bit about how Jesus said that the time of his return uh, would uh, be like uh, labor pains, as far as the signs of the times are concerned, and that includes wars and rumors of wars. And uh, we've seen once again the wars and rumors of wars building up to a fever pitch, and then uh, it seems like we've gotten into a lull. Now, one thing about labor pains, is that they increase in frequency and intensity as the time of the big event draws near. And so uh, we have to ask ourselves the question, where are we going to see another war, rumor of war, break out in the Middle East? Well, it might not take that long. Uh, Tomorrow is uh, an interesting holiday in uh, Israel. It's Jerusalem Day, uh, also known as uh, Israel's Flag Day. And what happens on Jerusalem Day is it's a celebration, the anniversary, The 1967 war victory that gave Israel complete control of both East and West Jerusalem. It is celebrated by Israelis parading through the streets of both East and West Jerusalem carrying Israeli flags celebrating this victory and the unification of Jerusalem. Well, you know, there's the old saying that history is written by the victors. Well, terrorism is often inspired by the losers. And uh, obviously, if uh, you are a uh, Palestinian, uh, Jerusalem Day is just uh, one of the most irritating holidays one could ever possibly conceive of. Uh, you know, We've talked quite a bit about how not just uh, the Palestinians, as they like to refer to themselves, Hamas and uh, Islamic jihad and Hezbollah, uh, the enemies of Israel are right on the borders, but um, even Iran itself, Uh, is intensely invested in the fate of Jerusalem. In fact, uh, the name of the highest level of uh, the Iranian special forces is the Al-Quds Force. Al-Quds is the Arabic name for Jerusalem. And uh, so uh, whenever Jerusalem comes into focus, particularly the fact that uh, Israel controls both East and West Jerusalem, uh, there's going to probably be somewhat of a dust up. The big question that's being asked right now is how big of a dust up is going to happen. Now, it's interesting. Jerusalem Day, technically on the calendar, shouldn't have happened till Friday, but because Friday includes Shabbat in Israel, uh, they bumped it back uh, a day till tomorrow. Uh, there's a number of different speculations about all of this. Uh, some believe the reason that Hamas. Did not get involved uh, with the exchange between Islamic Jihad and Israel in the previous dust-up is that they were keeping their powder dry waiting for the provocation they would call it of Jerusalem Day to get involved in some kind of a skirmish. So whether we see Hamas uh, trying to get some street street cred uh, from their followers in Gaza by launching their own version of a missile attack or not. We'll have to see. I think what we can see uh, at the minimum count on, because this is pretty much standard operating procedure uh, for Jerusalem Day, is that uh, as the uh, procession, the parade, the flags get closer and closer to the Temple Mount area, I think you're going to probably see, as is their want, uh, the uh, waqfah individuals and uh, the Arabs they allow up on uh, the Temple Mount area to the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock. Then they're going to use that high ground to uh, hurl some kind of projectiles at the passing parade that will uh, again trigger a uh, police response which will trigger uh, some kind of a minor riot or uprising. If you don't do that you just haven't done your job as far as uh, being a part of uh, the Arab opposition to uh, Israel in that day. Whether it goes further than that, there's a number of different speculations. Some say that Hamas kept its powder dry, kept their missiles in place uh, because they wanted to save them for Jerusalem Day. Uh, there is an interesting article in the Jerusalem Post uh, that uh, read coming into uh, airtime that tends to think that Hamas is going to stay out of it uh, for uh, three reasons. Number one, Israel, through the Abraham Accords, has, uh, in a roundabout way, uh, provided uh, the uh, the uh, uh, Palestinians, uh, I- including the Fatah faction that is uh, controlled by Mahmoud Abbas and so on, uh, with some backhanded ways of getting supplies and relief, especially there in Gaza, and they don't want to mess that up. Uh, they are uh, kind of getting addicted to this flow revenue that's coming in. And so a direct attack on Israel by Hamas under these circumstances uh, certainly uh, would would stir the pot and would cut them off financially a bit. Uh, The other uh, aspect of this that is uh, kind of interesting is that Israel has uh, raised the amount of day workers, uh, temporary visa workers from uh, the Palestinian territories into Israel. And so Hamas and uh, Fatah both are uh, really reticent to see things go back uh, to the way they were because Mm -hmm. one of the things a terrorist organization has a hard time doing is meeting the basic needs of its people. Mm -hmm. And so if it can, again, delegate these out to Israel, uh, less pressure on them to actually have to do things like, well, govern, you know, <laughs> in, in the territory. So they don't really want to mess that up. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the, the analysis that I've been reading is that uh, Hamas, Islamic Jihad has taken a, a huge hit. They've lost uh, number six and counting of their key generals. Uh, Hamas does not want to see the same thing happen. They can launch missiles at Israel in a fit of pique, But I think Israel has demonstrated that their intelligence is uh, so strong that they can go ahead and take out Hamas's generals. And Mm. well, as we've mentioned before, uh, their policy is they're more than happy to see the rank and file die for Allah and be martyrs. They're not so much interested in martyrdom for themselves. Uh, So uh, I I think that's going to probably keep a lid on things. Uh, Where things could get um, interesting uh, would be if, uh, say, Hezbollah in Lebanon uh, decides to make some kind of a show of force. If Iran, uh, which is the uh, one that holds uh, the chain of Hamas there in uh, in Lebanon, decides, oh, we just can't let this go on by without some kind of show of force. We have seen uh, some drone forays that have come from Hezbollah in Lebanon into Israeli territory. We've seen some uh, missile launches taken out by uh, the uh, the um, anti missile uh, batteries that Israel has there. Uh, so it will be interesting to see if that's going to happen. Some have even asked uh, if Syria uh, would want to make a jab at Israel because Israel has done such a job of, say, blowing up their airstrips and, and blowing up missile dumps and, and, uh, and so on. But uh, because Israel's been so good at that, uh, Syria is in a pretty compromised position. I don't think we're going to see much out of Syria in, uh, in that respect. So I I think the the wild card could be what Hezbollah decides to do. I think at the very minimum, we're going to see some kind of riots, uh, some kind of uh, throwing of rocks. Uh, I've been on the receiving end of one of those rock-throwing incidents. Personally, uh, I I don't know if we're going to see much more than that, but pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, You never know with these people. Uh, The fact that uh, Israeli intelligence is saying, well, we're not really sure there's going to be uh, too much beyond the ordinary might be provocation enough for one of these uh, crazed terrorist groups to go ahead and take their best shot mm. so uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem and we'll keep you posted
0: yeah thank you Yeah, thank you for that update but wow. uh, at
1: least things have settled awesome. down from the last one
0: yes absolutely yeah. wow so oh, thank you well so we have some questions coming in if you guys are ready to jump on in yeah let's do it uh, we have a question from um, Havilaya sorry if I'm butchering your name but it's a beautiful name from Genesis, Ah, the river of gold. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, And thank you. I know you were here yesterday with us, Um, so you're you're restating your question, which we appreciate. Thank you for hanging on in there. But the question is, what is the purpose of the rocks and dust before the rocks cry out? Will these be what God uses to create the new heaven and earth, or are these reminders of his original creation? So I think basically the question is, will the new heaven and earth be completely new or kind of a re- remodeled version of the old yeah um (laughs) revelation
2: chapter 20 actually let's go to 21 and verse 1. i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away that's not straightforward enough for an answer second peter chapter 3 also notes in detail but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens that's the universe will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up literally consumed therefore since all these things will be dissolved now that's uh, an interesting choice of words by peter in the original greek but just taking it at face value what's being said here it's not going to be there anymore. Mm. What's going to be introduced will be from scratch. So if we want to go to the International Museum of Life before creation in the new heavens and the new earth, you're going to be disappointed. What we are told is that God's going to bara, literally create from nothing, this new heavens and earth
1: the same way he did the
2: first one.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, again, there's a uh, language that we find in the Psalms. Uh, that indicates that uh, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be uh, a completely different operation. The creation itself, even in the thousand year reign of Christ uh, after Jesus returns, is going to be radically and uh, totally different. Uh, We, you know, see in Isaiah chapter 11 that uh, the the basic predatory structure of the animal kingdom is going to be completely changed, Mm. you know, and uh, I mean that in and of itself uh, is going to be such a shock uh, you know we've heard about the lion laying down with yeah. the lamb some people are really uh, uh, picky about that it says no it doesn't say the lion it says the wolf and the lamb the, the lion will eat straw like an ox well uh, the you can quibble on the details but the bottom line is um, a lion is like an apex predator Mm-hmm. I mean, top of the list. I, I've come across a mountain lion once out trail running here in Tucson, and just even a little mountain lion like that yeah. uh, was enough to scare the willies out of me because I realized I was no longer at the top of the food chain. Yeah, uh, you know, for so for a lion to have its uh, its complete the digestive system, complete way of staying alive, uh, changed into a grazing animal rather than a predatory animal, mm. that's pretty remarkable stuff. Yeah, in and of itself, um, could God caused the rocks to cry out? Certainly he could. Would uh, the rocks have cried out if people hadn't recognized Jesus on the prophesied day of his return, Allah, Daniel chapter nine? Quite possible that nothing's too difficult uh, for God. Uh, you know, we're told, for instance, in uh, Psalm 96, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad, let the sea roar in all its fullness, let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming. He's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with truth. Well, apparently, there's going to come a time where even the trees of the field are going to rejoice before mm. the Lord. So, whether they will have a greater capacity to be able to do that, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. But it does appear very specifically that um, even the food chain, the way this world goes around, I mean, completely different in that thousand year reign. So yeah.
0: uh, why limit God? Yeah, and the same with us. I mean, we're gonna be you know, glorified. So what what of us will remain, I mean, our spirit, I guess, but everything else will be new. No, oh, we'll have there. a, I everything mean, new. probably
1: the, the, the best answer to that question, it's a great question, is uh, that uh, <laughs> we're gonna be like Jesus in his resurrection body. What was Jesus' resurrection body like?
2: It was physical. It was capable of eating physical food. It was able to interact with physical things. It was able to produce sounds with vocal cords. It was able to be touched. It had (laughs) skin. It had bones. We can give chapter and verse on that, but it is, in fact, going to be physical. Yeah, Yeah. so
1: it's going to be physical, but more than just physical. Physical uh, in a different sense in that, you know, Paul talked about in uh, first corinthians 15 that there's a physical body and then there's a spiritual body uh we're going to have that spiritual capacity that doesn't mean that we're going to be disembodied spirits you know some people think that you know that's that's where we're going to end up but uh, we're going to have the complete capacity to be able to interact with this
0: physical world so yeah yeah very good can't wait yeah and is that happening today or do we know? Tomorrow, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> By the we, weekend? We, we need to be ready each
1: and every day. Yeah. But as we discovered uh, <laughs> last week to uh, quite a degree, anybody that goes around telling you I figured out the day or found some loophole saying no man will know, but it's say no woman will know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this sort of thing is, uh, you know, uh, just an attempt to uh, gain attention. It's not an attempt to discover God's truth. So yeah. We, yeah. we treat it with the respect
0: it deserves that's right <laughs> yeah that's right but we'd be ready yeah, yeah. great well great question thank you uh okay um thank you for your question and being part of the show today and again hanging in there for a couple of days here a uh, question from mac d one of our regulars welcome good to see you well, i can't see you but figuratively speaking uh he asked when jesus came to save sinners did they know what they were guilty of or aware of their sin it's a great question yeah it's the point of romans one yeah
2: whether we're aware of the law or not, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, separate from him or otherwise, because he's revealed himself to us, even in limited ways, but enough for us to know we're morally culpable. The fact of the matter is, though, that no one's going to see a need for a Savior without the intervention of the Holy Spirit. That's First 1 Corinthians 12.3. The fact that God saved us from a problem we weren't aware of doesn't mean that we aren't going to seek a solution the fact is now that you're made aware there's a problem will you seek the solution that's romans 1 through 16
1: yeah so yeah and and uh, you know the thing i i would add to that is if there was ever a culture if you're talking about the people that were immediately there during jesus ministry if there was ever a culture that was custom designed or be reminded constantly of sin and the need for atonement for that sin. It had to be the Jewish culture of that day, because the centerpiece of it all was the temple. And what would happen to the temple? Continual sacrifices made for sin. Hmm. Uh, When someone would offer one of those sacrifices, they would take the sacrificial animal. And, you know, we hear about the, the phrase laying hands. You know, we tend to think of that as some kind of ordination process, and it is. But uh, when you talk about laying hands on a sacrifice, what you do is you would lay your whole weight on that sacrifice, while the priest was getting ready to kill it, and say in essence, "This should be me, for what I've done." You know, the idea that the Jewish people were unaware that the wages of sin was death. um, No, I I don't think they needed any uh, any uh, primers on that sort of a thing. I think they were well up to speed about all of that, Uh, and uh, you know, self righteousness, uh, thinking that they were. Keeping the law? Well, uh, probably, uh, depending upon the sect of Judaism you were dealing with. But uh, let's face it, when John the Baptist came and preached a message of repentance, that is do a 180 and turn back to God, uh, the people came in droves out to see him to a very isolated and difficult place to to get to uh, because they were so hungry to be made right with God, so well aware. Of their sin issue and their sin problem. So, in Jewish culture, not a problem. I think Sean, as you mentioned, uh, you know, wherever people go, we realize there's something wrong uh, yeah. with us. Uh, that that's why you know you have all these uh, various religions that are out there. When we were in um, in Belize, uh, we learned uh, quite a bit about uh, the Mayan culture and their view of the afterlife. Uh, we saw a uh, site that had uh, recently been uh, excavated and reclaimed from the jungle called Sinintinich, and it was an incredibly ornate and sophisticated uh, Mayan city, you know, rivaling those ones that you usually see on the travel logs and Mm. so on. Well, Sinintinich completely collapsed uh, when uh, I guess some priests, because of some uh, drought conditions or a famine, you know, felt like the gods were upset at the people and that the only way to appease the gods was human sacrifice. So in one month, I I believe uh, they said, what, 80,000 people voluntarily were sacrificed in the span of one month. Voluntarily? Voluntarily, they walked up these steps, the priests would be up there, they would actually jab themselves with uh, stingray stingers to get themselves in an altered state of consciousness. And uh, they would uh, have the person lie down, they would willingly lie down. They would remove the heart from the person while it was still beating and then toss the body over the edge of this huge structure down below. There were very well developed uh, uh, drains and courses for all the blood and all this that would happen. They all went voluntarily. And, you know, we asked the tour guide, why would someone do something like that? Yeah. Well, in Mayan culture, they had a very highly developed uh, theology about hell, they called it sebulba. And if you went to Sibulba, they had uh, things that would, uh, I I think, uh, make uh, Paradise Lost and so on, and uh, you know, just uh, absolutely pale in comparison. Just it was like the worst kind of horror movie stuff uh, that would be awaiting you if you ended up Mm. in Sibulba. The only way out of Sibulba was uh, human sacrifice and uh, a human had to die in order to pay the price to get you out of Seibol, but that was your default position. Uh, You can see almost a distortion of the truth of God that probably made its way back to the Tower of Babel about the idea that God would provide a sacrifice, and the wages of sin is death, and there was this horrible destination in the afterlife. They had all those pieces, but they twisted it to think that if you went ahead and laid down your life as a sacrifice, you could pay that price. Well, the, the fact of the matter is that's why Sinintinich collapsed because all the true believers in the culture sacrificed themselves. Uh, the uh, uh, layabouts and the uh, parasites and the people who didn't really believe in it, they're not going to do that. And so basically, all your top citizens and all the people who kept the culture going died. Mm. And uh, as a result, the jungle reclaimed the whole place, but yeah. it all came back to that incredibly intense understanding of sin, right. and uh, the fact that they were sinners, and they didn't have some Christian missionary laying some kind of guilt trip on them. They knew it. You yeah. know, you, you don't have to uh, say to any honest person, you know, do you think everything's all right with you and God? right? You, you think you're really a good person. Sometimes yeah. they'll boast about it, but I think in our four in the mornings, we know we're not. Yeah. So, you know. That's and, right. And, and I think God has
0: placed that in our hearts so that we would seek a savior. So yeah. 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 I mean, when we, you know, we compare ourselves. I know, I know people that, you know, yeah, I'm a good person, you know, I haven't, I'm not Hitler or, you know, a rapist or whatever. You can compare yourself. I'm good, good.
2: You're not Jesus either. That's right. And that yeah. was
0: that was a big part of Jesus' ministry to the Pharisees, just showing them of their their inward sin and what that really looks like. And you know, I'm the, good enough for God. Okay. Here's
2: good enough for God. How are right, you doing? Right, right.
0: Mm-hmm exactly yeah exactly so yeah well thank you uh great question and great discussion um hope that helps you out definitely a great issue there a question from mikey noodles i love your name i love saying it i'm going to say it as much as i can as we deal with this question mikey noodles Uh, is it possible to understand the tribulation as a seven-year period without understanding jewish history the seven years has always seemed quite mystical and secret knowledge to me question from Mikey Doodles.
2: Well, if you have difficulty grasping aspects or assumptions that are made in the 66th book of the Bible, it wouldn't be secret knowledge or mysticism for it to expect you to understand the 27th book as well. The idea of a seven-year literal tribulation, first of all, brings with it some worldviews that we'll be honest and upfront with and won't apologize for as well. But the idea of there being a 70th week of Daniel yet unfulfilled is literally words off a page in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And if we're going to say that reading the whole Bible is secret knowledge. I'd say that's publicly available information. It might just be a lack of effort on our part. The thing we have to be careful with is to say, because the Bible expects me to do my homework, it's asking too much of me, therefore these things are veiled behind my own laziness. That's not accurate. But if on the other hand were to say, well, do you have to understand Jewish history to understand the deeper truths of God? It seems like it's asking a lot. Well, it's asking for something. And if you want to know something, I don't think it'll be too much of an effort because, as far as the material the Bible covers, this isn't as long a book as some of the things that. I read for fun in terms of sci-fi and fantasy, but if we're going to acknowledge the fact that God stated these things plainly and that we can take them plainly without the help of cult groups and so forth, then I think it's going to flow quite nicely. Can you
1: go through, Daniel, and just, uh, I guess, shine a light on these veiled truths? Yeah, well, you know, I think it's interesting that when we talk about uh, apocalyptic literature People automatically think, ooh, you know, that's that's the uh, ooky, spooky stuff, and, mm. you know, who can really, under you know, it's right. uh, all these strange symbols put in a wearing bladder and put on puree, but even the word apocalyptic literally means an unveiling. Uh, mm. the, the revelation of Jesus Christ is not the covering up of Jesus, it's revealing who he is mm. and what his plans are to right this world gone wrong. And so whenever we come across, across what we would call apocalyptic literature, that's the Bias that we have to bring to it. That, uh, yeah, there are going to be some things that we aren't going to fully understand until the Lord comes back. Even Daniel uh, was told to go his way that uh, some of these things were not going to be revealed until they'd actually taken place fully, even some of the things he prophesied. But uh, in Daniel chapter 9, uh, and this is uh, the linchpin of why we believe in a seven year tribulation period, mm-hmm. uh, we are told that Daniel. Uh, realized that the people of Israel had been in captivity for about 70 years. Uh, God said that they would be there until the land enjoyed its Sabbaths. Well, it comes back to this law that every seventh year, uh, you would let the uh, earth recover, if you will, it would lay fallow, you would neither plant or plow or anything else. God said that he would provide double the amount you would need for the year mm. and more than enough to plant seed for the next year. Uh, in, in order to show that the land belonged to the Lord and the Lord was taking care of his people, much mm. like him providing manna for the people in the wilderness. Yeah. He wanted them to have that same experience, even in an agrarian culture. That, Which was that, accessible for people to understand and read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Yeah, so uh, that was the commandment. One big problem, it was never followed. Mm. Uh, they never did that. Mm. Uh, and uh, at the end of Second Chronicles, we are told that the people of Israel went to captivity in Babylon until the land enjoyed its Sabbaths. That is the 70 years worth of, uh, you can pay me now or pay me later, uh, managing of the land. Well, Daniel realized that this was coming to an end, that the 70 year period uh, was was about to expire. And so he sought the Lord and says, "Well, I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my supplication Before the Lord, my God, for his holy mountain, and and the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in a vision at the beginning, was caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. He informed and talked to me and said, "Oh Daniel, I've come now to give you skill to understand. Uh, No, he, he didn't say, Daniel, I came here to confuse you. I've come here to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, for you're greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. 70 weeks, the word weeks there, the Hebrew word Shabuah, Shabuah literally means 77s, if you will, uh, are determined for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, uh, understand, there's going to be 70 years then, that God is going to deal, or 77s of years, if you will, that God is going to use to deal with the Jewish people. He says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, out of the 70 weeks of years, there was going to be 69 weeks, and then Messiah was going to come on the scene. Well, we know when this command was given, restore and build Jerusalem. The command of Artaxerxes, we see it recorded in Nehemiah chapter 2. In uh, amazing books like uh, Dr. Harold Honer's Chronological Aspects of the Life of Jesus, uh, Mm -hmm. The Coming Prince uh, by uh, uh, Sir uh, Norman Anderson, uh, you you see the, the precision that was involved here, especially in light of the fact that if you calculate 69 weeks, 69 sevens of years, 483 years, As a Jewish calendar. Based on a 360-day Jewish calendar with a couple of uh, corroborating, correcting months thrown in uh, because it's a lunar and not a solar calendar. Mm -hmm. Uh, You put all that together, you come up with the exact day, down to the day, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey's colt and Mm -hmm. presented himself to Israel. Uh, You know, when Jesus said, and we talked about this a little earlier, uh, if these keep silent, uh, the rocks themselves will cry out. Yeah. I don't think he was just being emotional or hysterical. What he was saying is prophecy had to be fulfilled. And when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey's colt, the people sang hosannas. They quoted Psalm 118 to him, that this was the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That was the day. So after 62 weeks and seven weeks, in other words, 483 years, Messiah shall be cut off, a word that describes violent death, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Now that's really significant in that we know there was only one person who was significantly presented as the Messiah to the Jewish people during this time. Now obviously there were little Uh, uprisings and uproars and terrorist groups, and oh, could this guy be the Messiah? But no one presented the credentials that Jesus did. And and so the cutoff of all of that is Messiah had to come before Jerusalem was destroyed by the people of the prince who is to come. Who destroyed Jerusalem? It was the Romans under Titus. And it wouldn't have been the Babylonians because they would have already had destroyed the temple at the time that Daniel was writing this prophecy. Right, right. So uh, it says, then... It says till the end, it says he shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end shall be with a flood And till the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then he, who? The prince who is to come. Not, Not Messiah the prince who is distinct from this prince. But the prince who is to come shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. In other words, the final seven years of prophesied of God's dealings with the Jewish people to fulfill all those promises. That he made that we've discussed earlier. He shall conform a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, at the three and a half year mark, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation is determined, is poured out on the desolate. In other words, this is the abomination that causes desolation. Hmm. Uh, Jesus said that specifically that we should know what this understands. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 indicates what this is, that the Antichrist will come into a rebuilt Jewish temple, go into the Holy of Holies, declare himself God to be worshiped, and that anyone who doesn't worship him is um, going to be killed. See Revelation 13. Well, the Jewish people are going to understand that uh, Jesus is the Messiah. I believe this is going to coincide with God wiping out the invading Russian-led coalition of Gog and Magog from ezekiel 38 and 39 we can talk about that more if you want to explore that and see the but,
2: covenant of death in the book of Zechariah.
1: yeah and uh in isaiah yeah and uh you know again prior to this time israel is going to be thinking the antichrist is the least thing since sliced bread but after god intervenes we are told in ezekiel 38 and 39 uh they are not going to worship idols anymore they're going to know the true and living god well the antichrist then is going to declare open war on them the passage in Zechariah where two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to be cut off. Uh, That's what the Antichrist is going to do. God's going to preserve a third, but uh, it's going to be a very, very difficult time. That's why we call it the Tribulation and the time of Jacob's trouble. So yeah, you know, I I hope your head's not spinning uh, because of all that. That's a lot to download, but uh, when you take a look at Daniel chapter 9, this is why we see a seven-year period being involved here this is this piece of the prophetic puzzle that we receive here, and, uh, you know, if you want to explore this a little bit more in depth, uh, you know, there's uh, a, a couple of books I'd recommend. One is a book by Jade Dwight Pentecost called Things to Come about biblical prophecy, mm-hmm. a really wonderful book, and it's a little bit academic, but it's, it really covers some uh, wonderful issues there. Uh, Pastor uh, Chuck Smith's book, uh, The Final Curtain, I think is a very small book, but it deals with these kind of uh, issues. Can you think of any other uh, prophecy books we would recommend for people just kind of getting their feet wet here? Well,
2: obviously to be smarmy about it, the Bible itself, but (laughs) just to tie it back into not thinking, more information means concealing. This is literally revelation, which means to reveal, to make clear when the bible structures itself on history then poetry then prophecy that genesis all the way through ezra and esther are chronological history overviewing well essentially a thousand years of jewish history in the old testament we suddenly go back to the time of abraham when we hit job and then back to about halfway through first kings once we get to isaiah why because it's categorized by genre if you're familiar with the history and approaching a book from start to finish the way it was intended to be read you're going to be able to grasp these references right. and that's why the books of prophecy assume That you understand what they're talking about when it references this king, or when it references this term, or when it references this custom like the year of Jubilee. So when you get to the New Testament, the first verse expects you to know who Abraham is, who David is, and what the Messiah means. That's not meant to be concealing information or secret knowledge, it's meant to show you, okay, you've read the Old Testament, now let's understand what this was all talking about in the new covenant. When you get to revelation, that's expecting you to know the first 65, which is why so many people end up tripping over it, not because necessarily they're in a cult or they're deceived, but because they're coming into it without understanding it the way it was intended to be read. God is a fan of progressive revelation and not giving us more than we can handle, but if we don't, Handle what he's given us, then we're obviously going to end up slipping. But as far as these things are concerned, we don't preach a futurist, uh, Zionist, dispensationalist view of the end times because left behind just meets us where we're at personally. Uh, We're not diehard Kirk Cameron or Jerry B. Jenkins and Tim LaHaye fans. We feel it answers all of the questions adequately that are presented to us in Scripture in a very broad and a very Fascinating in and intertwined way. There is a recent graphic that was produced regarding the cross-references in the Bible, and it looks like this inverted rainbow with all of the uh, parallels over it. And I was frankly disappointed by it because I think it doesn't do it justice, especially from the start to the end, because the end, if it were to be accurate, would just be this big black bar. It was just taking everything from the previous scriptures and cranking it up to 11 if you want good resources obviously you can find them and we could recommend others but if you don't start with the bible to understand the bible it's all either going to be meaningless or it's not going to be your own it's going to be handed to you by people you trust and that trust may be misplaced we want to make sure the spirit
1: ministers to you first so start with scripture and start with the first page yeah and and you know one thing i would really add to that that i think really emphasize how important this is is there's this uh, trend among so-called evangelicals uh, these days to say things like, well, you know, the Old Testament, that was just for the Jews. We gotta unhitch our faith from the Old Testament, and Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't really have anything to say to us as believers in Christ. And I just think that is so tragic, because, uh, for instance, when the Apostle Paul said, all scripture is inspired by God and is given uh, for uh, teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work he was talking about the old testament yeah you know i mean you know uh you don't don't go through your christian life with uh you know basically uh one third of your bible yeah uh you're, you're just not going to understand on the depth and level that is and, and you know the funny thing to me is and this is my own christian experience you know when i first got saved they handed me a new testament which is a great place to start, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, I even read the Living Bible, which is, again, a great place to start, getting familiar with all these things. But uh, pretty soon, you know, I started noticing things. You know, who was this implied guy they kept talking about in the margins? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, why uh, were there all these references back to <clears throat> the Old Testament? Yeah. Well, you know, I have to say, and I mean, confession is good for the soul, I never really had... Uh, a, uh, a really uh, thorough, systematic, uh, complete view of the Old Testament and how it related to the New until I went through seminary, because mm-hmm. it just wasn't being taught in the church. Yeah, um, There's some great ministries out there that can get you familiar broad strokes with the Old Testament. Walk through the Bible, I think, is, is a great ministry, uh, that does uh, good work along that line. They mm. do like uh, weekend seminars where you go through the whole Bible and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you learn from Genesis all the way onward what it's all about yeah. and so on. Great memory devices they use there. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's almost like we reverse that. It's like Jesus' yeah. disciples began with this knowledge of who God was as he was revealed in the Old Testament. Then the teachings of Jesus were brought in and it made everything make sense. Uh, we kind of start with the teachings of Jesus, which God is going to honor, he's going to bless, but then we almost have to backtrack, and uh, it's almost considered uh, an act of scholarship or really intense spirituality to go back and understand uh, what the message of the Old Testament is. But, uh, you know, it's it's almost like, uh, to me, it's like the difference between watching an analog TV set and watching, you know, one of the you know HD things that we have yeah. right now. I mean, you'll you'll now, get yeah. the message, but you know, the the clarity and the sharpness of the message uh, is going to be incredibly enhanced if you have that kind of background. Which is why, for instance, we're teaching
0: through Ezekiel tonight. Right. But, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's very true. Great. Well, uh, Mikey Noodles, thank you for uh, your question. Appreciate it. Great question. You even got a uh, Spinal Tap a reference from Sean over there when he said "turn it up to 11, I caught that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so thank you. Well, Thanks why for being you part. you
2: just set it to ten and make that louder <laughs> and just have no, that because it eleven it goes to eleven.
0: That's right. Turn to eleven. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we digress. Uh, <laughs> uh, a question from Stephens: Why doesn't God stop false teachers and prophets like He did with Ananias and Sapphira? Is it to separate the wheat from the tares? There's a verse that talks about. Season well, of allowing the wheat and the tears just to grow together, and why doesn't yeah, God that, just part of it? Sometimes He does.
2: Um, Jeremiah, just a word of clarification:
1: yeah. Ananias and Sapphira were not false prophets. They right. never claimed
2: to be, or were told to be teachers. They lied deliberately to the Holy Spirit and were judged. Now,
0: I guess the act point. of God yeah putting a stop well, to something. And, you you know, sometimes do. God
2: does pow. But yeah, that yeah. Is not in, in
1: fact, we do see, you know, when uh, the sorcerer Bar Jesus uh, was trying on the island of Crete, was trying to keep uh sergius paulus the governor from hearing the gospel uh the apostle paul using his seeker sensitive uh vocabulary saying you son of the devil full of trickery and every evil deed god is going to strike you blind for a time and he was blinded he had to have someone lead him must race. So we do see.
2: Or in Jeremiah 28, where Hananiah kept contradicting the message of Babylon's invasion, and God eventually had it with him and said, You're going to die within the year. And he did. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the point of emphasis is obviously that if God had the highest priority of judgment, of making sure that people who did evil were punished, we'd see that as a race equivalent principle. And it would save us a lot of heartache along the way but that's not God's highest priority. We read in Ezekiel 33:11 and in 2nd Peter chapter 3 that God's desire is not for the death of the wicked but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. Now, we don't see the heart the way God does. That's Jeremiah 17. But God knows when they've crossed the point where he can't save them, where even in their promotion of false doctrine, they've hardened their heart to the point where they can't be redeemed. And the only way to save more life is by making them a public example. Sometimes that line is crossed, but we need to understand that is the exception, not the rule. Mm -hmm. When we see wicked people prospering in this world, it's a mark of God's patience, not his approval or or inability to deal with the problem. He's trying to fix a deeper problem, which allows people to make mistakes early on. Now, that were up to us. Obviously, the good news is we're not God. But in him judging certain people, we really need to understand, wow, it got that far to exhaust the patience of God with this guy. Yeah. And meanwhile, we see false teachers doing land office business today who've done horrific things to millions of people, and we're going, yikes. So that guy crossed a line that they haven't yet. Yeah. Ech.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, why doesn't God intervene and take out the false prophets, the false teachers? Well, a couple of uh, reasons. If God intervened and took people out for, you know, say, any transgression that yeah. was leading people away from Christ, well, every time we were a bad witness, pff, we'd be out. Right. Uh, so, you know, I think it shows us the patience and the grace of God in those circumstances. Jay Vernon McGee, and I'll be controversial about this, uh, always said that he felt like the cults did the true church a service because they removed the dead wood. Mm. You know, I think, uh, you know, people say, oh, you know, the cults, they focus in on uh, evangelical Christians. Well, they might focus on people who go to evangelical Christian churches, but, uh, you know, if you belong to the Lord, you know, someone comes to you with a different doctrine, you're going to get it right off the top. I remember right after I got saved, I was working mowing lawns for my uh, grandparents' real estate uh, company in in California, and I'd go out to the properties. They were so I you know do yard work, make sure they look good while they're being sold. And I was mowing a lawn, and uh, you know I had uh, you know a Jesus fish, uh, uh, you know around my neck. Mm-hmm. And this lady came from next door. She says, "Oh, I see you have this Jesus fish," and she started babbling on about uh, what would be the 144,000 who've not known women and they're virgins, and why don't you want to be a part of that and all this stuff. And, man, I, at that point, I think I'd been saved maybe a couple months. Mm. You know, I, I didn't know up from down. Yeah. But, you know, I just, listening to this lady, there was just something in me that was going, uh-uh, uh-huh. no. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, the Jesus I know, and this stuff you are talking about, two different yeah. things. Well, looking check. back on it, all was Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. You know, I didn't know enough but uh, to argue or debate with her. I just knew that uh, the Jesus was in my heart, certainly wasn't bearing witness with this woman and her shtick, so. You
2: mean to tell me that when you gave your life to the Lord, the first thing they didn't clarify were the errors of Arius of Alexandria? No. Oh, no, no. no.
0: But pretty soon <laughs> you figure it out. Right? Yeah, that's you, right, yeah. <laughs> you
2: get to that. Yeah.
0: Can we maybe get to this question real quick, because yeah. I know uh, hasiera was uh, here yesterday and she restated a question, so. Yeah, I uh, mean, I can deal with that. So that'd be great. Um, is the fiery serpent in the Bible uh, is that literal or symbolic? Can she quotes so Isaiah fourteen twenty nine? But I know there's a few places. Yeah,
2: let me read in verse twenty eight for that passage. This is the burden which came the year King Ahaz died. Do not rejoice, all of you Philistia, because of the rod that struck you is broken. For out of the serpent's roots will come forth a viper, and its offspring will be a fiery flying serpent. Literally, a seraph, a burning one the firstborn of the poor will feed, the needy will lie down in safety, I will kill your roots with famine, and I will slay your remnant. Wail, O gate, cry, O city. All of you of Philistia are dissolved, for smoke will come out from the north, and no one will be alone in the appointed times. Then it goes on to note that the the people of God will be returned. At the time of Ahaz's later reign, if not his death, what was happening in northern Israel? The Assyrians were taking the 10 northern tribes into captivity, and the Philistines, being the instigators and trolls that they were, were mocking, celebrating, and basically taking advantage of the chaos, and God told them through Isaiah, who was serving in southern Israel at the time, the one nation that wouldn't be taken into captivity yet, that the death of Ahaz isn't a favor for you. Someone's going to come out of his line that's going to make life very difficult for you and by the way the people you're mocking are going to come back. The picture of the fiery serpent was of Hezekiah who definitely jacked a few fools, if you want to use the modern term, as far as the Philistines were concerned. He was a very godly king, and he enforced Israel's borders well. However, that fiery serpent term comes from the book of Numbers 21, where fire adders were sent as a judgment to Israel when they rebelled against God for the billionth time, and they had to do the bronze serpent ritual in order to be spared, basically. Now, to say the seraphs were actually fiery angels like the Ark of the Covenant and Raiders of the Lost Ark and stuff, not a lot of support for that. We know the bronze serpent that Hezekiah smashed that was built at that time was an actual snake, yeah, in the but, yeah. but the idea behind that, of course, people want to make that point of emphasis in a reference to something literal. It is a symbol. It was a picture of Hezekiah, if you grasp the history in Second Kings 16 through 18. But the point that's being made in Numbers 21 is that these were symbolic serpents and the people of Israel felt so guilty and they had to look at their sin to understand it. No, they were dying
0: and it was because of the snakes. Yeah literal snakes
1: not snakes
0: anything (laughs) but snakes Indiana Jones reference Sean you're the best look at the time look (laughs) he's such a pro we see you again same time tomorrow stick around for the book of Ezekiel in 30 minutes God God bless bless you
2: you. you've been listening to A Reason for Hope thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's word one question of the heart at a time until we meet again we would love to connect with you you can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.